Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And I want to continue this week looking at that great request in the prayer that Jesus is teaching us. Maybe you could call it the first true request of the prayer. Your kingdom come. And last week, essentially, we looked at the kingdom. But now I want to look at this. We are praying your kingdom come. And in order to get a full background of this and understand, I believe we can understand what it's saying, I want to read Psalm number two, or at least part of it. The first question is, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing or a futile, empty path? The kings of the earth, the leaders, take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or Messiah, saying, let us tear their fetters apart cast away their cords from us. We want absolutely nothing more to do with this God and his Messiah. We'll finish it off once and for all. And if you go into Acts in chapter 4 and the prayer that the first disciples prayed, you will find they quote this verse and say that was done in the crucifixion. When the kings of the earth and the rulers Even the rulers of the temple came together to be rid forever of the Lord and his Messiah. And but the response in verse four, the response of God at this uh, craziness of man to think that they can get rid of God. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He smiles, laughs at their utter foolishness. The Lord scoffs them. You really think that you can be done with God and his Messiah. And he will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, that is, you have said, let's get rid of him. Well, that's what you say. As for me, says the Lord, I have installed my king. That's the Messiah upon Zion, my holy mountain. Sometimes when we read of his anger, terrifying them in his fury, we, we default to that image of God foaming at the mouth with blood on his fangs. No, um, the New Testament in many places quotes this verse and tells us that it was speaking of the resurrection. You see, Men at the cross said, we'll rid ourselves of God. God says, as for me, what's me? I'm going to install him. I'm going to 
publicly make him the king, declare him to be my Messiah upon Zion, my holy mountain. And that happened, of course, in the resurrection. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having been those who brought about the crucifixion? You're one of them. Call yourself by whatever name, Caiaphas, Annas, maybe Pilate. I, but you are one of those who are here in prophecy called the kings of the earth and the rulers. And you were one of those who took the hammer and nailed him to the cross and said, that's it. It's done. It's over. We got rid of him. And then the news that shatters your very world is he's alive and alive as he's never been alive before. You, you realize the anger of God is against Satan. The anger of God is against the one who would hold us in tyranny. And he expressed his anger at what Satan has done about the sin that has blinded the minds of men. And he says, in your ignorance and your foolishness, you can say what you will. I will raise him from the dead. And that's what he does. Then in verse 7, if you take time to study this psalm, I'm just going to tell you, um, it changes. Now, it's not the Lord speaking. It is the anointed one, the king, the Messiah. In verse 7, he says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. That is, the, the Lord has said, I have installed him as my king. He is Messiah. Now that Messiah says, I'll tell you about that installing. I'll tell you about the decree of the Lord. He, the Lord, said to me, and of course we're talking of Jesus now. He says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you or birthed you out of death. This, do you understand? And I've got the whole of the Old Testament behind what I'm telling you now. This is, is telling us the incredible explosion of the glory of God. Now we understand. Now we've got it. The resurrection has told us of this incredible plan of God and who Jesus really is. Let, let's take, take a moment and I'm going to say what I've said before, and I don't know how many times I've said it before. It's the keystone to the Scripture. It certainly unlocks the whole New Testament. And if we don't get it, the New Testament tends to be a great mystery. It's the incarnation. Now look, yes, you know what I'm about to say. Let me say it, and may the Holy Spirit afresh open our eyes to see. God, the Father, sends God the Son, God from God, the Son willingly coming. And that Son, Jesus, is the Creator. Please understand that. Colossians 1.15 will be a jolly good read for all of you. He's the creator. He's the one 
whose voice is heard in Genesis 1. God the Son brings into being out of nothing the cosmos, all that we call creation, life. He's the one who is the image of God. And we were created in that image. We were created in the very image of the Creator, Jesus. God, Creator, gives Himself and gives Himself to the nth degree, the uttermost, in that He actually takes our stuff, human stuff, this human life that He created, He called it forth out of nothing, and now He takes it to Himself and limits Himself to our humanness. Please understand, this is who Jesus is, the incarnation God becoming one of us without ever ceasing to be God, but limiting himself to our humanity. God creator stepping into and limiting himself to the creature. Of course, that man becomes mankind spelled in capital letters. For when God becomes flesh, when God becomes human, when God joins our family and we call him brother and he calls us brothers and sisters, then that man is, is, he's bigger than the whole cosmos. He is worth more than all creation. Let me put it like this. You've got to get this. God so loved the world. What? God so loved, so loved. God love is beyond our comprehension, but now he inserts the word so. He so loved. The love that is already beyond comprehension is now taken to its ultimate and final incredible definition. He so loved that he gave his only son, God from God. Now, let me put it this way, because, and this is born of talking to thousands of believers over the years, God didn't do something nice for us. Uh, and you can think of the biggest nice that God could ever do for you. He didn't do that. That's not the definition of God's love, that he's sort of generally nice. And, and he, he didn't just give us a gift, as, as if I were to take this and give it to you. It's, it's in my, I just give you a gift. No, God himself, hear me, God himself so loved you. He came into the limitations of this flesh. He came into our world dimension of walking death. 
He came into the middle of a world of pain and suffering and hatred and meanness. He joined us and said, I love you. And even though all your hostility, even hostility to one another, is really your hostility to me and to my father. But I've come to look you in the eye and say, you are our beloved. We love you. And in that body, he chose in every step to obey his father, do all that pleased him because he knew the father's love and he loved the father. And so he lived in this, this body. And yet without sin, though he was tempted in every way as we are, though he met Satan eyeball to eyeball, he never sinned. He obeyed. And there is emerging a new kind of human. For there's never been a human who has said no to Satan before this. He expressed the Father's love to perfection. He announced forgiveness of sins. He healed sick bodies. He delivered from Satan's power. In his humanity, he revealed this is what God is really like. And then he carries this humanity into death. And he who is life, is life, enters into death, having taken to himself all of our sin. And then... He rises from the dead because Satan has no authority over the one who perfectly obeys the Father. He has no authority over this God love that would come into his domain for us and as one of us. Satan is defeated. He's made an overreach. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, hear me, hear me. This man, Christ Jesus, has stripped him, Satan, of all authority that Satan had over the human race, over the cosmos. Hear me. Jesus stripped Satan of all authority that he had stolen from Adam. The authority Satan had over mankind was because mankind had sinned. Mankind had chosen to be hostile to God. And now one of our kind, one of us, man, came into that and said, as us, no, I choose to believe and obey, trust and serve the Father, who is life, who is love. And now he has said to us that we are forgiven, 
by the shedding of his blood, by his perfect obedience, we are forgiven. Forgiven? Forgiven? Released of our sin? That means Satan has no more authority over us. For God himself got inside our death and said, you're forgiven. And the Father raised him from the dead because death had no authority over him. And in rising from the dead, hear me, Jesus stepped out of the tomb. He exited death a human. Please understand that. He exited death as human. I mean, read the scriptures. This broadcast is a couple of days after Resurrection Sunday. Did they tell you this? Did they tell you this on Sunday? That Jesus didn't come out of the tomb having finally divested himself of his body and flesh and us annoying humans and now he's free to get out of here. No, Jesus came out of death with a body that in its atomic structure was no longer in any way subject to death nor ever could be. He, he has a body which the Bible calls a body of glory. But just a minute. He is on this pathway. He's here solely because of the extreme love of God for you that he would literally take your place, get inside of you and carry you to death announce your forgiveness and when he exited the tomb you exited with him in fact when he exited the tomb exited death the whole cosmos the whole human race has turned a corner resurrection reborn rebirth it's genesis 1 is peanuts compared to this. Did you hear me? Genesis 1, you had the creator who spoke out of nothing, the creation. But this is the creator coming into that creation that's been stolen by Satan and personally taking it to himself and bringing that creation to an end. And then rising from the dead, it's a new creation And this last Sunday, we celebrated the birthday, the birthing of a new heavens, a new earth, a new human race. Oh, yes. And the Father, see that? That's what we just read. The the kings of the earth, the rulers of the earth, all the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, they said, crucify him, get rid of this God Stamp the face of Messiah in the mud. We're out of here. And they went home and they had parties. Popped the champagne bottles. We did it, old chap. We did it. And then on the third day, they heard the sound of the father's laughter. He's raised him from the dead. Now what do you do? He's raised him from the dead and he has installed him. That he's he's 
appointed him on a cosmic level. You have stripped Satan of his stolen authority and in all time, in all space, in all geography, in all persons, Satan has no more authority. It is given to you. I've appointed you my king, Messiah. That's the way it is. Philippians 2, you know it. That he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God, his Father, has highly exalted him and given to him the name which is above every name, that at the name Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess he is Lord. Or Ephesians 1 says, using every word in the Greek language for power, it says by, by the power of God, he raised him from the dead far above or principalities, all powers, all demonic hierarchies over every name that is named Jesus Christ, Lord of all, Lord of all. And we saw last week <clears throat> there in Daniel 7 that, that picture using highly prophetic um, picture language, but the Son of Man, it says, Son of Man, coming out from the very belly of the great beast of the Roman Empire, actually. Great monstrous beast is pictured there. And he's on clouds, which means highly exalted. And he comes to the Ancient of Days, the eternal God, his Father. And that Father gave to him a kingdom and says that all nations and people would serve him gave it to him. Do, do you realize, do you realize that you and I and all peoples, we are the inheritance that Jesus won by the shedding of his blood in obedience to the Father. You are his inheritance. You are the one that he came to find. You're the sheep that the shepherd came for. You're the coin the woman searched for. You're the son that the father is running to embrace. He came for us. And when I say us, I mean creation. He's the creator. He came to remake, to rebirth creation. And now he has been exalted into the invisible half of the universe. And he is made the king, the Lord of all creation. But are you following me? He is still joined as one to us. He refuses to let us go. He's our brother man. He is man who now knows he's God. But he's still man. He still has a body. A body that's touchable. A body that sat in an upper room and ate bread and fish. He's man. Have they ever told you that? Jesus never let us go. He entered into that relationship of Holy Trinity 
and he took us with him to the glory and delight of the Father and to the dance of the Holy Spirit. He took us home. For that we were created. He came to get us and he got us. And we were transferred, says Colossians 1, translated actually, picked up out of the domain of the darkness and placed into the kingdom of the dear Son of God. For the kingdom of God, his, the, the authority that he holds now over all that moves, but specifically, our eyes have been opened and we respond to that and we recognize we've come alive to that he reigns within us, Christ in us. In fact, the very first gift the Father gave was that this man, Jesus Messiah, who is the divine God-man, gave him the Holy Spirit to give to us on earth. And the Holy Spirit on earth realized and implemented the reign of Jesus in the invisible half of the universe. So the Holy Spirit came and opened our eyes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit showed us the finality of Jesus, that he is the man that has conquered our ancient enemy, Satan. Jesus, the one through whom we hear the voice of the triune God saying, you are forgiven, you are released from sin's authority. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see that I, through Jesus Christ, am made a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. My eyes are open to see that where he is, there I am, seated with him in the heavens. In fact, I'm so in relationship with him, and it's you I'm speaking of, so in relation with him that he is the head and I am part of his body on earth. The Holy Spirit shows you that. And the Holy Spirit shows you, achieves in you, and achieves through you the very life of Jesus. Love, the love of God, the Holy Spirit now puts inside of us. For we are a kingdom of lovers. And that love has physical aspects, a mental aspect. And so we, we see, and the Holy Spirit uses us as the very extension of the hands of Jesus to bring physical healing and mental healing and emotional healing. Oh, yes, we're up to date now. The King has been installed, Jesus Christ is Lord. That was the first words we spoke. As we eyes opened, we saw the way things are. And we recognize he is Lord. Lord, King, anointed, Messiah. 
He's Lord. He's been appointed the King of the cosmos. And our King, our Lord, our Messiah, we're in him. And we confess he is Lord. That is, we, you know, the word confess, it means to say together with. And so we say to the Father said, I, I install you, I appoint you, I declare that you are Lord. The only authority in the cosmos. And we say that with the Father. The Father said it, we say yes, we say it. The Holy Spirit has opened our eyes. And the Holy Spirit has told us. There's no other way of saying it. I don't mean with physical ears, but we now know that all that Jesus is and all that he did is for us. And we say, he is Lord. And the Holy Spirit joins us actualizes in us this relationship. So, what, what now? Okay, verse 8 of Psalm 2. Right, you with me? Verse 7, Jesus, the Messiah, and I'll tell you about the decree. Of the, this is what the Lord did. This is, he installed me. He says, you are my son. Finally, we can tell the world. You, they thought you were a carpenter of Nazareth. Some got a bit better and thought you were a prophet. You are my son. And today, I've begotten you out of death. Resurrection. So what now? Ask of me. And I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth as your possession. Now, I, I've already said we are his inheritance. Get used to that, by the way. And it's at the end of Ephesians 1 where, where, where it speaks plainly of, of uh, his, his, did you, his inheritance in us. He's your inheritance, but you are his. He came for you, you see. Now you're marked with his blood. You're his. Owned. And to Jesus comes the word of the Father, you ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Now just a moment. He's already won it. By the shedding of his blood, we belong to him. He, we are his. Now the Father says, ask of me and I'll surely give the nations as your inheritance. So wherever humankind is, there Satan has lost his authority. But right now that authority is known in the heavens, that authority is known by the Father and by Jesus. Now there shall be an advance of that kingdom. Now that authority shall be realized wherever humans draw a breath and wherever grass grows. And that shall advance, says the Father, you ask of me. 
I, I wish I had another whole week on this. Just enough to say, I, I go to bed with this, I dream about it, I wake up with it. That God the Father is speaking to God the Son. God the Son who has joined the human race and is never going to leave us. He is forever our brother. And that is carried to the extent that even now, glorified in resurrection, seated, recognized as God, yet still he takes our place, still in that exalted position. He's the man, Christ Jesus, who will submit and ask of the Father for that which his death and resurrection has accomplished. But just a moment, one more thing. Have you not noticed we are in him? I mean in him to the point where it's an organic relationship. He's the head with the body. And so when the Father said to him, Ask of me and I will give you your possessions. He is in the same breath speaking to you and I because we are in Christ and Christ is in us and where he is, we are. Have you ever noticed that nowhere in the Old Testament does it ever say, Ask in my name and you'll receive? No, prayer in the Old Testament is different to the prayers of the New Testament. doesn't mean to say they're less important or anything. It just means they're different. We, we use the prayers of the Old Testament, but I trust when you use them, you do so from sitting with Christ in heavenly places in the New Testament because they're different. For the first time, since Psalm 2, Psalm 2 was written 1,000 years before Jesus came. And for 1,000 years, there was another, another mention of ask to receive your inheritance. Not a word. Until Jesus sat in the upper room hours before his death and was telling the disciples what was going to happen after he rose from the dead and after the Holy Spirit came. And he said it. The first time after 1,000 years, he said in that day, that's the day where we live now, that day, ask whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do it. Ask. Last time we heard that was Psalm 2, spoken to the risen, ascended, exalted Jesus and us in him. And so we now, as his body, his expression on earth, we ask in his name, in his authority, in his person. We are Jesus asking the Father on earth. I said, I really wish I could do another week on it. Ask of me. Ask of me.
the father not only announces, announces to the cosmos, announces to the entire human race that Jesus has been appointed, installed as Lord of all in the face of every ruler and every king. That Jesus is the owner of creation and its creatures of the human race. That Jesus, by his obedience and bloodshedding, has stripped Satan of all authority in this creation. The Father announced that, said it is so. But now... We, we, we see something else. The Father so desires that Jesus actually receives and delights in and plays in that which is his, that he receives his inheritance, that every knee does bow and every tongue does confess. And that Satan is silenced forever. The Father so desires that. He said, ask of me and I'll give it to you. Or as Isaiah 53 says that Jesus will see the travail of his soul, his sufferings. He shall see that travail and he'll be satisfied that he has what he won. Ask of me. Ask says the Father, for all that your blood has purchased. Ask for all that extreme love has achieved. Ask for your inheritance, creation. There's, I don't know, among many Christians, there's almost a fear. Is that the word? Well, I use it anyway. It's a fear of the material, physical. I, I, it, it came from a great heresy that invaded the church a very long time ago. Um, and I won't even go there. Just enough to say this is, yeah, it's a demonic thing if you want to go. It's a, it's a great lie. Satan has bamboozled Christians to think that God isn't interested in material stuff. That God is not, in fact, God is offended by physical. That's a lie of Satan. When we say Jesus is Lord, we mean that he's the Lord over and the owner of all material. An insight into this moment of exaltation in Revelation 5 it tells us that the, the hosts of heaven are, are declaring of Jesus that all the wealth of the nations is his material. Walk on that land outside. Who created that? Who redeemed it back to the ownership of those for whom it was created? Jesus did everything that makes up life. And, and and there's another thing you say because of this thing that we're terrified of the body and stuff you do with the body oh you you know you poor woman they tell you, you can't put makeup on you can't they, they want you dressed like an old barn door with a sackcloth on it why because they're terrified of your body god forbid we should look nice oh christians are supposed to look like old witches that's it yes 
Wear, wear, wear something that's uncomfortable. Wear something that makes you the laughing stock of trout. I won't go there. But you get it? We're terrified of the physical. Don't eat something that you enjoy. Oh, God forbid. Christians don't do that. We wouldn't spend money on that. No. We're terrified of the material. And so, have you noticed how people report on evangelistic meetings? We say we had, you know, a hundred souls were saved. That's a weird statement, isn't it? A hundred souls. Souls. I mean, did you see them floating down the aisle like ghosts? So, no, physical bodies in clothes with mouths that spoke, eyes that saw, came to Jesus. Please, let's get rid of, okay, the name of the heresy is Gnosticism. It's the supreme hatred of the physical. God created bodies. God created the very fibers of the earth to make beautiful clothes. He created our food so that we would enjoy it. He created spices. Yeah. And Jesus Christ is Lord of it all. So, uh, he's not Lord of souls. He's He's not the head ghost. Now, everything that makes up human life. I will give you the nations. What do you mean by that? Well, nations are made up of families, and families are made up of relationships. Families are made up of weeping and laughing. It's made up of work and school and play. Yeah, everything that makes up human life. Jesus Christ is Lord. He won it. He won your family. He won the right to play with you. He won the right to work in you. He won the right to school in you and family in you and socialize with neighbors in you. He's Lord. And the Holy Spirit in you is actualizing that kingdom, that domain of his right. And above all, he won the right to hold you so close that you are one with him and he is one with you. And when he is in the Father, you are in the Father. And when you speak to the Father, you speak in the very tone of Jesus' voice, for you are one. You've become part of his race of divine lovers. And our inmost spirit, our very essence, has been restored. We've been born anew to know our relationship with him as sons and daughters of the Father. And our physical body is hoping, waiting for the resurrection where we'll share a body exactly like Jesus. But until then, we get healings. Signs, wonders, mind blowers. For he's earned the right to heal us and to deliver us from the hands of Satan. So, what, what, 
It's the desire of the Father that Jesus is acknowledged and known for who he really is, Lord of this person, Lord in that family. That this people should know his love dancing in life with them, his love and his joy and his peace in the midst of still living in this world. It's the desire of the Father that that healing life that brought wholeness to the physical and mental as well as the spirit, it's the Father's desire that yet, Jesus, you earned this. You purchased it. Now ask of me. Let me make it so. Ask of me. So now I'm beginning to get, I hope you are, beginning to get a new idea about prayer. Prayer, this your kingdom come. Yes, this kingdom that Jesus won and has handed to the Father. And the Father now says, ask of me and I'll give you your inheritance. I'm beginning to realize that Prayer, I and my prayer is in tandem with the desires of Jesus and the desire of the Father. I am speaking the desire of the Holy Trinity in the earth, about the earth, according to what Jesus has received in his exhortation. Ask of me. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Or as Paul said in Corinthians, all things are yours. Begin to look. You see, this radically sets the stage of prayer. And although I'm, I'm seeing it right here in your kingdom come, um, but actually it affects all the rest of our praying. You see, and I don't know where you come from, Maybe this doesn't apply. But there are many Christians, yes, Christians, who look at prayer as trying to get God's attention. Their image of God, quite frankly, is that he's remote, distance, separated, and not too interested. And so I, I've got to persuade this unwilling God. I've got to heap up my reasons, twist his arm, make a deal, tell him I'll go to the mission field. I'll, I'll sell my homes and give the money to him. Anything. Or call in a charismatic attorney to threaten God with his promises. You said this and you've got to do it. Come on. What kind of a God do you worship? What is this saying? We are in Christ. Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit, who, who is our teacher. He, he's the one enlightening us and coaching us in this new way of being human. And we, in union with Jesus, ask for that which Jesus has already received. And the Father is just aching to hear us ask, delights to give us. Huh. Quite a thought, isn't it? Well, 
maybe you better go over this part uh, of the message more than once because I know many people have never thought of God in these terms. You see, he shares his desires in us. See, even people who say they believe that Christ is in them still don't totally get it. Look at me. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has a relationship to me that binds the essential Malcolm with the essential Jesus. What a thought. This body is part of that. The the mechanism of this body. Do you realize Jesus lived in a body our body with, with the mechanisms of our desires and the mechanisms of our thought life and our imagination. And he still has that glorified. My desires linked with his desires, joined with him. So when a great desire lays hold of me, if Christ is in me, then I am sharing his desire. I'm participating in the desire of God. Here it is. His desire. Thy kingdom come. Uh, That's his desire. Right here. Right now. With this person. In this event. The kingdom come. All that Jesus died and rose again to achieve. Be manifest here. That's the desire of God. And then he says to you and I. Throw in your desires within the boundaries of that finished work of Jesus, what do you want? That's terrifying, isn't it? These mincing people with their religious misery on their face saying, if it be your will, not my will, but yours be done. Please. We're going to talk a lot more about that. The next request, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But just just now, do, do you understand There's no if it be your will. Jesus is the will of the Father. All that Jesus died and rose again to achieve and accomplish, that is the will. It's ours to say, your kingdom come. And we don't say that with an apologetic voice. We don't go mincing around the edges and timidly say just a little bit. No, the kingdom that Jesus died and rose again to bring to earth be done. Come to this place. That's his inheritance. Have you got it? The Father has given to Jesus the cosmos. He's given us to him, but now we're so joined to him, he says, to him and to us, ask. And I'll give it to you, ask. This is our faith, you see. Or dare I say this when I've only got a couple of minutes left, but I will. We, We pray with the faith of Jesus. This is exchange life to the max. This is... I don't know how to pray. Paul said that in Romans 8. He said, I, we, we don't know how to pray. Many times we don't know. But he said, the Holy Spirit within us takes the other end of the request. And we pray together. That is, Jesus has 
unlimited faith in what his father said. Jesus has unlimited, unearthly faith that his father meant when he said, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. So I don't look and say, have I got enough faith for this? I say, Jesus, you and I are one and you have enough faith. Again, I wish I had another hour on that, but do, do you get what I'm saying about it? See, this is our attitude. Oh, I know, some are going to get so mad at me right now. Well, see, I, I'm at an advanced age. I'm almost called the Ancient of Days, and, and therefore, I don't care what people think or say. Do you realize you look at this person and you see, religion, Christian religion, says us and them. I thank you, O God, I'm not like him. I do this, they do that. He didn't say the magic prayer, therefore he's not in. You don't love him yet, because he's not right. Well, well, well. I don't know who your Jesus died for. I don't know who your Jesus rose again for. I don't know who your God gave what to whom. But the fact is that that person, and I don't care how they're looking or behaving, that person who may be smelling like the pig of the prodigal son, that person is marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that person, Satan, has no authority to keep. The only authority Satan has over that person is that he's buffooned them, he's blinded them, he's deceived them. And as long as they believe in his darkness. But now at the name of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the good news that is in him, the darkness can be shattered. And that person see that they have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Wow! What a difference that makes for you to look at this person and that person and realize these are persons for whom Jesus died, rose again, were given to him by the Father. Makes a whole lot of difference when you pray. You don't come in prayer and say, oh God, this person is such a wretched person and they're so full of wrong and they're so addicted to this and they're slaves to that and did you hear what they did? No, I begin my prayer saying, Father, I'm bringing one of those for whom Jesus died. One of those that you have given to Jesus and on the authority of this I'm asking you that Jesus has his inheritance. This event that's happening, this situation, this opportunity, this challenge, it's the opportunity, the challenge, the event, the situation of Jesus. It's his. You understand? It's one of those things that happen in the relationship of humans. He's already the Lord of this event. Let's ask that that be made manifest. This is his arena. This event that you're so afraid of and cower before. It's really his arena where he's going to be seen and manifest and declared as Lord of all. It, 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 that, that's, that's final. That's absolute. 
There's no more discussion about that. So that means we do not entertain the possibility of not being heard, of God not doing anything. But we, we ask that this kingdom be made manifest in power. This kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, his presence within creation, his being seen and known and declared as Lord, this is, what can I, this isn't a paper tiger, you know. You know what I mean? This isn't something written in a book and it makes for jolly good reading, but I mean, as to actually happening, forget that. No, it's, not a, it's not a paper tiger. In the Old Testament, he was called the living God. There's something kind of give you goosebumps, you know, the living God. You, you can't tiptoe around this God and get away with saying he's the living God. He's not a paper mache God that you buy in a trinket store when you're a tourist in a town that worships this thing. No, he's the living God. He is livingness. And he is finally revealed in that he trashed death rose again, the living God. So 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, the kingdom of God is not in word. Oh, you just don't talk about this. It comes with power, says Corinthians. comes with power. And when Paul is going to go into the most vile city in the Mediterranean world, he says, I came to you in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And Hebrews 2 says this gospel that we preach came hedged around by signs and wonders and healings and miracles that proved this is God's power working among you. We're not making suggestions. We're not adjunct to AA. We're not just a little program of nice people. When people come among us, they confront the living Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who is here to confirm that he is alive in opening eyes, rebirthing, healing sickness. Not a, not a human organization. I, I, I've said to some pastors, why don't you do this? Or, uh, and, and they have said, well, my denomination wouldn't like it. I don't give a fig about your denomination. Jesus Christ is Lord and he's alive and he's present here in the Holy Spirit. And the Father waits for him in us to say, ask, ask. This person. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop there because this really does overflow into next week when we look at your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But for this week, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. That's the desire of the Father. The desire of the Father revealed in his saying to the triumphant Jesus, ask for all that is yours, and I'll give it. Revealed in the desire then of the Son to receive all that for which he died and rose again 
and he is in us by the Spirit, and we become the words of Jesus asking. This is prayer. Prayer is sitting down in the middle of the Holy Trinity, delighting in that finished work, giving glory to Jesus, who is still our brother. And together with him, in him, by him, asking the Father and being part of the Holy Spirit, bringing it to pass. This much I would say. Sometimes we seem to ask for a long time. Sometimes it takes a long time of asking before my desire is really awakened to want what I'm saying. Sometimes our prayers seem long in being answered because they are part of the way the Holy Spirit breaks down the darkness that enshrouds other human beings. But can I say this, and I should never do this in the last seconds, but your prayers never stop. Once you have prayed, they go on and on. Prayers then are answered sometimes after you've gone to be with the Lord. And all prayers come to their finale when Jesus returns and there is the resurrection of us all. And there's the new heaven and the new earth, his kingdom to the nth degree. His kingdom which now is hidden, invisible, working like leaven in the bread. But on that day, kingdom consummated and seen. But it all happens by us praying, your kingdom come. Your kingdom which is through the finished work of Jesus Christ, now come into this situation, into this person's life. Well, there it is. What else can I say except amen? Another blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His blessing be now with you in the totality of your holistic being that you may in all dimensions of your life reveal the love and the joy and the peace of God. So I bless you this day. Amen.